0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.
1: Good morning. That was great. Um, This morning we are reading um, from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. There will be on the screen behind me. The verses, but also there are some Bibles that are scattered underneath the chairs. So if you would like to follow along, please grab one. Um, and it can, be, it can be found on page 573. So again, we're in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he, time, he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder
0: So, we've uh, spent this month uh, looking at the four traditional focuses of, or focus E, focus I, foci of, of Advents, uh, which is uh, hope and peace and love, and this week it's joy. And the, the thing about all four of those aspects hope, peace, Love and joy, the thing about all of those is, all four of those are things that every single one of us in this room desperately want and desperately need, desperately. Every single person that you know desperately needs and longs for and hopes for and desires hope and peace and joy and love, every single person you know. The Scroogiest person, your most terrible neighbor, your grumpiest uncle, Every single person that you know desperately in their soul of souls longs for love, joy, peace, and hope. There's something inside us that that longs and desires for every single one of those things. But here's the thing about all of those. I, I can't tell you to love and for you to love. I can't tell you to have peace and for you to have peace. Have you ever tried to do that with your spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend in an argument? Hey, just calm down. How does that go for you? That that has never proven, I I don't know why. I just like, it's like, hey, let's pour more gasoline on this fire. I was like, hey, just calm it down. It's like, it just like shoots up. But we all feel that way, right? You can't make yourself have peace. You can't make yourself have joy. If I say, hey, right now have hope, you can't make yourself have hope. If I say right now, have joy, you can't make yourself have joy. Now, you can produce a fake, a facsimile uh, of all four of those. You can, you can fake it for a little while, right? You can fake acting like you have love. You can fake acting like you have peace. You can fake acting like you have hope. You can fake acting like you have joy, but you can't make yourself have any of those things. It's like if you try to fake it, it's sort of like, it's sort of like pasting a, a, a a fresh pear onto like a dead tree. All plants uh, come to our house to die. This year we finally uh, admitted. Let's not go through the whole charade of, that we've done for, I don't know, 20 years of buying poinsettias. We, we buy a poinsettias and they're beautiful. We buy them at Costco and you guys see them there? They're like, they're like trees, right? They're huge. And we buy those, and we put them in the house and man, that first week they look amazing. We're like, this is going to be the year. We're going to keep them up, Right? This is the year. And then like, we're like, forget. And we like water them. Then you water them too much. So you don't water them enough. And then you see like all of a sudden the leaves start to fall off. You're like, oh no, here it comes. And then by the time Christmas comes, they look like something from like the Grinch's house. And no matter what you do, like no matter how, once that poinsettia is dying, there's nothing that you can do in that moment to bring it back to life. You, can, you can't paste the leaves back on, and that's what it's like for us we try to fake having love, joy, and peace, and hope. You can fake it, but it's not for real. It, eventually, the leaves are gonna fall off again. And joy, which is what we're thinking about this week, is such a big part of Christmas, isn't it? Or the way that we think Christmas should be. Uh, picture the most Christmassy scene that you can imagine picturing smiling parties, people standing like with nice sweaters and uh, hey, by the way, miracle of miracles, I'm wearing this sweater this morning. Uh, I was holding Eliza, our seven-month-old during worship. She had, a, uh, this is kind of gross, she had a giant spit up, white spit up right in the middle of the song and I was holding her like this and somehow not one drop of it fell on me. It all fell on the floor. It's still sitting on the floor over there if you... But miracle of miracles, it didn't hit me. But people standing around wearing nice sweaters and everybody's smiling with clever, sparkling conversation and a drink and then they're talking and you're smiling and everybody's laughing and you have the the house is filled with a warm glow and there's cider and whatnot and everybody's standing around smiling. That's the beautiful, joyous Christmas scene or or Christmas morning, like the kids getting up and full of joy and excitement and everybody excited about the, the morning and opening their gifts and so Thankful and not whining and complaining at all, or or like or a a, see like us singing together as a church, joy to the world and every smile, everybody smiling and happy, like happy, like that's the way we feel that Christmas should be. But how many of you don't raise your hand? How many of you right now at this moment are experiencing true joy? I mean, true joy. Some of us in this room, like you're looking at me and. You're either faking it or you're you're communicating through your eyes. You're like, man, I am not experiencing that. My heart, my soul is. Is breaking inside. The season is is always makes it harder for me because my family is broken. Things are messed up. My life is not the way I pictured it to be. I don't have or feel deep abiding joy. And when I'm talking about joy, I'm not just like a passing, like I'm smiling and I happen to be happy this morning because I, man, a couple weeks ago, I was taking Sophia to school and we didn't hit a single red light all the way to school. And I was like, like the last one, I was like, like Sophia, she didn't care. She's like sitting there like, she's 12. So nothing's exciting at all. I think it's cool. I'm like, so Sevilla, we made it. Not a single green light. It's a great day. And maybe you had that this morning on the way to church, but I'm talking about real, like like real joy. I'm talking about unbridled, unfiltered, absolute gut from your gut joy. How many of you are experiencing that kind of joy right now? And here's the truth. If we get Christmas, if you get Christmas, you experience, you feel that kind of joy you can't make yourself feel it but if you get christmas you feel you get that kind of joy i'm not talking about just a a passing laughing kind of fancy i'm I'm not talking about hey i'm just happy-go-lucky everything's going well in my life i'm talking about things are really difficult my marriage is falling apart my spouse died my child is sick uh, I'm my bank account is minus, and yet still I have a joy, kind of joy, unbridled, unfiltered joy. But how's that happen? Well, this prophecy that. Uh, Allison read for us from Isaiah nine is a prophecy from Isaiah, that's telling us how that kind of joy happens. Now let's look at verse one, and I'll tell you why why this is such a big deal and why it means so much it means so much to them and means so much to us. Verse one of Isaiah nine, but there will be no gloom for her for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought in co- into contempt the land of Zebulun the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, we read that and it doesn't mean a whole lot to us. You're like, Naphtali, Zebulun, I don't even know what that means. Galilee, Gentiles, like, what are all you talking about? Well, here's the deal. So, as Isaiah is writing this down. Isaiah is prophesying this to the people of Israel, who are God's chosen people. Here's the deal that's going on. Uh, Israel was God's chosen people. They traced back their promise to Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and the nation of Israel came from there. And God said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless the world through you. And he continually exposed this covenant to them and said, hey, if you stick with me, I'm going to pour out blessings upon you that you cannot contain. You will lend and you will not borrow. Things are gonna be great and awesome for you, but here's the deal, you have to follow after me. And Israel continually dropped the ball over and over and over again. They turned away from their one and only true God. And what happened as a result of that is God said, but if you don't keep my covenant, then here's what's gonna happen, I'll scatter you to the four corners of the earth. And this has already started to happen now for Israel. These Naphtali and Zebulun, these areas, these northern areas that he's talking about, the two most northern areas of of Israel, have already been taken by the Assyrians and turned into Assyrian territories. So part of Israel has already been captured. And Israel's already still, it's just sort of a, a, a gleam of its former glory. After Solomon, if you know anything about the history, there's King David, who you might've heard about, then King Solomon after him. The, the country breaks into two. There's a Northern tribe and a Northern, a northern kingdom and the Southern kingdom, and things are never really again as good as it was under David and Solomon. And now the two most Northern, these two most Northern territories have been captured by the Assyrians and impending in just a few years from now, which is why Israel, what Isaiah is prophesying about. They're, the Assyrians are gonna come in and conquer Israel, the rest of the country and take them into captivity. This is impending doom upon Israel. Things have not been great. The golden years are far behind them and now they're being conquered bit by bit and they know that the hammer is getting ready to fall on the rest of the country. It's a difficult, rough time And yet, in the middle of this prophecy, Isaiah has a lot of terrible things to say that's going to happen to the nation of Israel. In the middle of this hard prophecy, in this hard book, he continues to give hope to them. He says that, in the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. You hear that? the area that was conquered. But, in the latter time, he's saying later... He has made, so he's talking in the future tense now actually. He has made glorious, or he will make glorious the way of the sea. That's the land beyond Jordan. That's those two areas. And then Galilee of the nations. Now, hear this. Hear this poem, this song. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. See, Israel was in a very dark and difficult place. Uh, that, that wording there when he says, those who have walked in darkness and then have seen a great light. And then he says the next line, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Uh, the wording there is sort of like, it's the same sort of wording as the, the land of the shadow of death on them or death darkness. Have you ever felt that kind of darkness? On them has light shown. See, Israel who is God's promised country, God's promised people. All, they supposed to things are supposed to be great with them. If you stick with me, I will pour out blessings upon you. Now they are divided into the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. They're also divided in how they worship. There's just a remnant of Israel left who are worshiping the one and only true God. The rest of the nation, the majority, perhaps, of the nation are worshiping either God in a way that he didn't tell them to worship or they're worshiping false gods, sacrificing the false gods up on the mountains and around. Some of them, even in the history of Israel, they get to the point where they're even sacrificing their own children for the sake of these other false gods. It's a divided country. They're divided and they're oppressed or they're harassed from the outside. Uh, The Assyrians are threatening them. For years, they've been threatened by other powerful countries around them that, that have come in and have kept them constantly in terror of more powerful nations and tribes around them that maraud them. They're anxious and they're depressed. You know why they're depressed? They're anxious because they know the Assyrians are knocking on the door. They've already taken to the territories and what else are they gonna do? And they're depressed because they do not see where is hope gonna come from. There's no apparent path out. And that's where the hope that Isaiah is talking about comes in. That's where the waiting, they're waiting for a king. You're gonna see that in a moment. They're waiting for a king to come because God had made a promise that he was gonna send a king or rather the king, the king of kings who would come and establish peace and justice and rule Israel powerfully and and justly and righteously forever. And they would have no more concern and no more fear and he would take all that is wrong and he would make it right again. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about how does that compare to us? Right, because if you think about it, like, there's really no comparison between us and them because we are the richest nation in history. Uh, we are at war abroad, but we forget that because we have such peace and security at home. We have amazing technology that makes our lives easier than they have ever been before. Have you thought about it? I don't have to walk up to get my kids to come out of their bedrooms now. I just say, Alexa, tell the kids to come downstairs. How lazy is that? Like, the technology that we have is crazy, the things that it does. Some of you guys have cars that park themselves. Some of you guys have here cars that actually drive themselves. I have friends, they don't have to parallel park anymore because they just like press a button and the car scoots in there. (laughs) Think of what we have. I haven't had to memorize a phone number since I was a child. I haven't had to know directions for years now because it's all built into my phone or to my car. I can get wherever I need to go without having to worry about it. Things are, we have it so much easier. We're wealthier. We're at peace at at home. We have amazing technology and we are more connected than ever. So we have no reason to be lonely or feel alone. Because so we can text or call, jump on social media, we can instantly be interacting with other people, and our family, our friends, or people actually like, all around the world. And yet, in the middle of that, still as a country, aren't we more divided than we ever have been before? Even though we're richer than we ever have been as a nation, the, the, the statistics say the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. We're more divided as a nation ever between right and left. No comment this morning about politics is Christmas, by the way. But we are more divided than ever between right and left, aren't we? It's hard to find any common grounds between those. Rich and poor, right and left, Republican, Democrat, we're more divided than we ever have been as a nation before. And we feel, even though we are richer and we're more connected and we have it easier by technology, we feel more oppressed, we feel more anxious, and we feel more depressed than we ever have been before as a people. More people than ever deal with anxiety and depression and feel oppressed by outside forces, by the economy or your lack of education, or where you live, or your family, or your upbringing, or the situation that you find yourself in your marriage, or not being in marriage, you feel oppressed and pushed down from the outside. And the thing is, the thing that puts us deeper and darker than ever is we don't see any path out, any way out. And so the same message comes to us that came to the Israelites from Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. There is hope. This morning I don't know where you are or what you're going you're going through. I don't know what situation you find yourself in. I don't know what your relationships are like or your family was like or your marriage is like or your finances are like. I don't know where you are. I don't know the deep depression that you feel that you feel that is conquering you. I don't know about the anxiety that you feel is creeping in on you. I don't know where you are or where you've been or what you've done, but here's the the truth that I have for you this morning on this Christmas service is there is hope for you, and here's the hope, that a light has shown because a king has come. A king has come and a king is coming again. In the middle of your darkness, in the middle of our darkness, there is a king that is coming. And isn't that amazing? That there's no way that we can technology ourselves out. Let's turn it to a verb. There's no way that we can finance ourselves out. There's no way that we can smart ourselves out of darkness and depression and anxiety. It just is who we are as human beings because we are broken and this world is broken and there's no way for us to fix ourselves or to fix the system and make everything right again. We've tried every leader. We've tried every financial system. We've tried every government system. We've tried every party. We've tried this answer and that answer and nothing seems to fix the problem, does it? Don't get get frustrated with the system that can't get fixed. Get frustrated with the cause of the problem. And that is at the core of every single one of us. We are broken and we are sinful. We're in a darkness of our own making. Isn't that true? If you're really honest with yourself this morning, isn't the deepest darkness that you feel, isn't a darkness of your own making? This is a darkness of our own making. Even the things that have been done to us by other people, like, it just it just festers there. It gets worse and worse. We can't seem to get over it ourselves, can we? That We lack the ability because we are all sinful and broken. We are caught and trapped in darkness. That's why we light Christmas trees and we other people put decorations on the outside of their house and we light candles at Christmas because it's the message that in our darkness, light has come. From outside of us, a light has come. A hope has come. And look at what happens when it says he announced to so the people who dwelt who walked in darkness, and people who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. So people of Israel, he's saying that you have blessed them now. He's speaking in the future past tense. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Here's the hope that has come. Here's the light that has come. It is the type of hope and the type of light that comes to us that increases our joy, that causes God's people to rejoice before him as with joy at the harvest. See, you and I, won't not, joy at the harvest, it won't mean much to you. But what that really means is if you can imagine you got paid once a year, That payment is the harvest. Like if you're a a farmer, you would work long toil, long hours and the harvest is whenever it actually all pays off, whenever you you collect the harvest that you would worked so hard for. And you know the thing is about a a, a farmer that he has very little control over what the harvest is gonna be like. He can plant more or plant less, but it really depends on whether the sun shines and the rain falls and nature cooperates and how good the harvest is gonna be. Some years you can do the same thing, exact same way, and you have a better harvest, and some years you have a lesser harvest. It's out of your control, and it says, here's how you're going to rejoice, how this hope, this light that comes to you causes you to rejoice. It's like a farmer that rejoices at a great harvest. You didn't make it happen, but it came to you. You rejoice at the harvest comes in. You rejoice as those are glad when they divide the spoil. You know what the picture there is? The picture there is an army that has conquered a con- uh, another army, another city. And the spoil is all that's left over after you've conquered them. It's like free money. And the army divides that spoil and goes home richer. And here's the picture we're going to get to it. It's the picture of an army that divides the spoil that it didn't even fight for. The harvest, the farmer had very little control over. And this spoil that these people are collecting in his prophecy, they did not fight for. He's saying you're gonna have joy. What's the result of this, when he's talking about the king coming that's gonna rule over us? What's the result of this king who is coming? What's the result? He's saying joy is the result. Why? Why is there joy? Look at verses four and verses five. Here's two reasons. And then the biggest reason in verse six. Verse 4, 4, here's why you will rejoice. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Here, the picture here is a people who are oppressed and conquered by a greater, more powerful army. And when it says the day of Midian, he's talking about Gideon here. And the story of Gideon is that Gideon was supposed to help his people, help God's people Israel overcome the Midianite army. And it was a vast, huge, powerful army. And he pulled out army together and already the army that he pulls together from the Israelites is vastly outnumbered, but God still says this is too many. And God whittles them down to there's 300, only 300 in the army left to battle this vast, huge Midianite army. And you know what God does? God uses those 300 to overcome this vast, huge army so that Israel could not claim any credit for conquering the Midianites. That they would have to say, that was of you, God. And what does he say? You will have joy because the rod of the oppressor, the yoke of his burden, the burden that is around your shoulders, the staff for your shoulder that would have beaten the rod that would have beaten you, you have broken as on the day of Midian, that God has come and broken that which suppresses us. God liberates his people, and that will cause joy. Verse 5, 4, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumults. That means uh, all the boots, the uniforms, every garment rolled in blood. Everything that has clothed the warriors who've been fighting these wars will be burned as fuel for the fire. It means you'll have no more need to fight. The king will liberate his people and the king will bring peace to his people. The picture here is of of somebody enjoying the fruits of another person's victory. Here's what he's saying, is that the rule, this hope that is coming is gonna bring great joy because your oppression will be conquered, your oppressor will be conquered, and I will bring true and lasting peace to my people. But look at this third reason, and this is the biggest reason. Why will they be joy, why will they rejoice? The picture there is of rejoicing, As with joy, the harvest, as they're glad when they divide, the spoil would have been unfiltered, unbridled, absolute gut-wrenching joy from the bottom of your soul. It's the picture of, of dancing and rejoicing and singing and yelling and joy because of something. He says, here's why. I'll break the yoke of burden. I'll break oppression for you. I will bring peace to you. You won't have need of your battle of your uh, of your warrior's attire anymore for here's why in verse 6 for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his rule or his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. What kind of king is the kind of king that brings this kind of joy for, as he breaks oppression, as he brings lasting and forever peace to his people? See, it's not the kind of king that Israel was waiting for. They thought they were waiting for a great warrior king who was gonna come and conquer all their enemies and, and bring peace, but, but here's the deal, that, that that's not what this is talking about and that's not the picture that is here. If a king comes and conquers all our exterior foes, he still won't conquer the interior problems of our soul. The kind of king that Israel was waiting for is not the kind of king that they needed and it's not the kind of king that we think that we need either. Here's the wording that's in here. It's not of a great ruler who will protect and conquer, who will protect God's people and conquer our enemies. It's the kind of ruler who would come and would be called a wonderful counselor. That wording there is, is a word, it, it carries beauty and it carries like supernatural otherworldliness. A wonderful counselor. Someone who has all wisdom, a kind of wisdom that transcends human wisdom. He will be mighty God. The kind of ruler that we need is not simply a man. It couldn't just be a man. Because no man, no woman can come and rule us and bring us true and lasting peace. Because every single person, every single man is broken in our core. And it it filters out in the way that we rule and the way we lead. We can't find anybody who leads and rules justly and makes everything right. It had to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God. Only God alone can rule us correctly. And here's the truth. Every single one of us needs to be ruled by God. You were not made to be an autonomous person. You were not made to be self-governed. You weren't made to be self-led. You weren't made to be self-sufficient. You weren't made to be smart and able to carry yourself and do everything on your own. You were made to to lean upon the mighty God and the wonderful counselor. That's how you were made. You were made to draw wisdom from him. You were made to submit yourself to him and to his rule and to his reign alone. And when you and I try to rule ourselves, things start to fall apart. We weren't made to be self-sufficient and we are not able to be self-sufficient and we try to rule ourselves. We rule out of our own brokenness and our own sinfulness and it makes things worse and worse. We needed a wonderful counselor. We needed the mighty God to come and rule us. But it couldn't just be God to come and rule us on his own because by our very nature, we are enemies of God. And if God came to earth without any intermediate between us and him, if God just came and and abolished all his enemies and conquered all of his foes, like I was talking about earlier in this passage, you know who would be those foes that he is conquering? You and me. Every single one of us, by nature and by choice, are on the wrong side of the tracks, from the enemies of God. And yet, The beautiful thing about this passage that it's saying is that rolled into one, there's this king who is coming who is a human, but yet who is also mighty God, who is the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father for his people and the prince of peace, he is coming. It has to be God and it has to be man and there we get Christmas. That's how Christmas brings joy. Christmas brings joy because you and I, in our darkness, in our oppression, in our anxiety, in our depression, in our own darkness, we're not left to be there, but God came to us as a man. He came to you. He didn't leave you alone no matter how much you feel that you may be alone this morning, no matter how separated you may feel from mankind and from God himself. He did not leave you alone. He came for you. There's a crazy miracle that we celebrate in this season, that is that God became man because he knew we needed a king who would be man and be God, who we knew we needed the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace to rule and reign us. And he could not reign above us without there being an intermediary, and there was no man fit for the job, therefore he had the second person of God had, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to take on flesh. Can you imagine what that felt like for him? I, I can't. To leave the the throne of God. To set aside receiving glory and honor for for one moment in history to become a human being. so that you wouldn't be left alone, so that I wouldn't be left alone. So he would gather a people together for his father, for him to rule and reign over us and for us to find joyful submission under his rule and reign. That's Christmas. And that's the source of joy, and that's why when you get that, when you get what happens at Christmas, when you get what happened, not just at Christmas, but in Jesus Christ, in the incarnation that God came for us, became man, he lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, and has risen again as 100% God, and 100% man, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his people, that is the source of joy as a people who have joy at the harvest that someone else raised for us, as a people who divide the spoil that someone else conquered for us. See, Jesus, we picture, man, that cute little baby, right? You know, some of you guys seen the movie, I like to worship cute little baby Jesus, right? He's non threatening. The cute little man that came down, he's a little baby, and there's the donkey and the sheep, and the wise man is a cute little crash nativity scene kind of thing. You know what Jesus was, that baby lying in that manger? He was a warrior, and he was a king, and he was a sacrifice. He was your father. He was your lover. He was your friend. He was piercing our darkness to bring hope and love and peace. That's the message of Christmas. And to come to him to experience that, here's all that it requires. It requires submission to him as king. Guys, guess what? He is king whether you bow your knee to him or not. He deserves every bit of honor and glory and praise and worship, every breath of our being that we can possibly give him just because he is God, but he also earned it because he became man for you and me. To experience joy and love and peace and hope that transcends our circumstances simply requires, first of all, submission to him as king. That's saying, you are king and I am not. You are God and I am not. And then it also requires, this is it, coming with empty hands. Now, I don't bring anything to you. I don't bring anything to this table. I've nothing done nothing to deserve anything, but I hear this story that hope and joy and peace and love is for those who submit to you and come to you with empty hands, asking that you would fill them and that you will do so. And he will, and he does. This morning, as we celebrate our Christmas communion together, as we prepare our hearts for that, here's what I want us to do as we, the band comes forward and we sing this song together. Right where you are this morning, uh, maybe, Uh, you're here and you're not a believer. Maybe you've been around church or maybe you haven't. Maybe you're just here because it's Christmas, maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you've heard the story, or maybe you thought you were a Christian, but this morning you realize I've never submitted to him, I've never come to him with empty hands asking for him to fill them. This morning, would you during this song bow your knee to him, maybe physically bow where you are. Maybe it's just in your heart praying, God, I submit my life to you. You're the king, whatever you say goes. And I come to you with empty hands saying, would you fill them? Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. If you're a Christian here this morning, maybe you say, man, love and joy and peace it feels so far from me right now. I don't have hope right now. Where I feel like I've forgotten it. Maybe right now you need to where you are. Maybe there's some things you need to repent of. Maybe you need to ask God to help you. Maybe you just simply need to res- freshly say, God, I submit to you and I come with you with empty hands. If you'd like someone to pray with you, to become, uh, to, as you're thinking about becoming a Christian, if you like, feel like God's working your soul, or you just feel like God's working your soul as a Christian, we invite you to come forward. I'll be in the front. I would be glad to pray with you. Uh, someone else can, can pray with you as well. Uh, during this song or after the song, during communion or even after that. We encourage you to come forward. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are the king, that you rule and reign in majesty and power, and yet you became a human being so that we could have joy as you conquered the foes for us that we could not conquer we could have peace in our souls as you make peace between us and the Father and with fellow man. That you could bring real hope because we know that if you came once, you'll come again. And we can love, experience true love and to love others in return because you loved us and gave yourself for us. In Christ's name we pray.